Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. So we have some exciting news. Um, We are going to be doing a new interactive podcast episode where we talk about UFO interactions with you, the listener. You can go ahead and check out, listed in the bio, I have a number you can call, leave a message, and I can take that and put it on air or transcribe it, or you can email. So check the bio, give us a call. We're going to be putting in this information probably in the next week or two or maybe a month, depending on how people are going to call. So call in if you have any questions about UFOs. If you have any things you would like for me to answer on UFOs, or if you have any theories on UFOs, and if you have any um, first-hand, second-hand, any interaction, please give a call. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. So before I go ahead and start the show today, I just want to play a clip from a listener. I really appreciate the call-in. If you guys have anything you want to say, share as it relates to anything, preferably UFOs, that'd be great. Hey, Zach. Uh, real big fan of your show. Keep up the great work. Just hoping maybe in the next episode, could you let us know, do you think there's life on Uranus? Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for the call. And y'all should call in, leave a message, write an email. It's in the profile. So with that being said, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Master of None. And the intention of this podcast is to rise above the talking points, provide you information and insights you can't get anywhere else. So we go deep on the conflicts, the topics, and we provide analysis, understanding, and research rigor when providing it through this podcast. And today we are going to be going into a topic that has captured captured the media quite often, and that is the relationship or the love triangle, if you will, between China, Taiwan, and the United States. So let's get into it. Tensions between the world's two most powerful countries, the United States and China, after several military close calls. In the most so recent this incident- episode, we are going to be getting into the rise of China as it relates to 2013 and why they want to go after Taiwan as it relates to strategic and potential signaling of geopolitical strength. In 2013, President Xi Jinping is intent on reestablishing China's dominance in the Pacific and is dismissive of American complaints of cyber espionage. So the U.S. fires a warning shot. Wanted by the FBI, five Chinese military officials who've allegedly spent years stealing trade secrets from some of the biggest companies in the U.S. For the first time, we are exposing the faces and names behind the keyboards in Shanghai used to steal from American businesses. Recognizing that U.S. leadership was built on economic strength, the Chinese Communist Party attempts to follow suit. They launch an ambitious roadmap to rapidly transform their manufacturing base into a high-tech global powerhouse by the year 2025. Made in China 2025 targets 10 industries essential to cutting-edge manufacturing supply chains. They issue a series of five-year plans outlining their goals. However, their tactics do not mirror free economic development. Forced technology transfers, acquisitions of foreign companies, intellectual property theft, 
and industrial espionage are widespread. New tonight, stolen secrets stretching from Charlotte to China. Prosecutors say this man worked with the Chinese government. So I really want to utilize that point talking about the 2025 strategic plan for China. China in itself is trying to become an economic power, as we all know. But as a result of this, they must start to limit the relationship with the United States as it relates to buying power. The United States buys the majority of all the tech that is created out of China, and it's stimulating the economy. They're kind of caught within a catch-22, if you will, if they want to establish a level of global um, seniority or becoming a more of a global power. Now, whenever we get into China, what we have to understand about them from a from a historical context, cultural standpoint, is the importance of Mianza. Now, this is Chinese for face. I spent time in China, if you're not familiar with my background. For two years, I worked there as a Peace Corps volunteer, teaching in the Gansu region, living in the city of Lanzhou. There, I would learn a lot about Chinese culture and relations. And from that, I piggybacked all that information into a master's degree where I studied Chinese policy in Chinese historic history. As a result of it, it's given me some insight into China, but China is a very complex environment and culturally sometimes it's hard to determine it. So I put that emphasis with understanding how this relates to the messaging of Taiwan. So often now we are getting these talking points that China will invade Taiwan as it relates to Russia invading Ukraine. So much so that it's even being prompted within media you will likely circles. be asked about on Wednesday night is foreign policy. And you recently said that to protect Taiwan, you would do this. Guess what? We'll put a gun in every Taiwanese household, train them how to use it. That is how you make Xi Jinping think twice. Do you really think that would be a sufficient plan to deter a Chinese invasion if it includes long-range missiles, ground troops, an aerial blockade, a naval blockade. Caitlin, 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 of course it's not sufficient. You take that tiny little clip. So that was the vague Ramaswamy being asked this question. And in full transparency, you know, he, he had more of a strategic outlook on what to do to protect Taiwan. But the reason why I want to highlight that clip is it's showing how the media is capturing this whole conversation. You know, his his big uh, doctrine on how to do it is create um, Taiwan as a, a porcupine um, arming the Taiwanese into, you know, the citizens. There's 23 million of them providing some type of security strength and then creating a situation where China and Russia are no longer friends. But when we look at the strategic location of China to Taiwan, what we have to understand is there's about 100 miles of space now. China and Taiwan have always had a very interesting relationship going back many years ago. But really when we get into the importance of it, a name known as Jiang Kai-shek is really the reason why we talk about Taiwan today as an independent nation away from in China. Peace in the Taiwan Strait. The expectation is that America is at a minimum the security guarantor that if China invaded, they should expect the U.S. 7th Fleet to turn up very soon, and that could be a war. This precarious standoff is a consequence of the unique role Taiwan has played in China's divided history. At the end of the Second World War, the defeated Japanese, who had occupied Taiwan for 50 years, were forced to give up control. Taiwan was handed back to the Republic of China, then a military dictatorship led by Chiang Kai-shek's Chinese Nationalist Party. 
but it was a short-lived union. Within months, China's civil war, which had been fought intermittently since 1927, ignited once more. By 1949, Mao's Red Army had swept to victory. Deposing Chiang Kai-shek's military dictatorship and forcing the former leader and around 1.2 million of his anti-communist supporters to retreat to Taiwan. So as we kind of get it, the historical context right here as it relates to face. So Mao Zedong, who's considered the, the father of, you know, China, the one China that we know now, starting around 1945, um, really embraces the concept of wanting to be united with Taiwan. Now, Taiwan in itself is important just for historical context or context as it relates to face. There is a certain, there's a, there's a policy going on with China called the One China Policy where they're taking on all aspects of what is China. We think about Taiwan um, is being kind of broken from that. We look at what's happened with Hong Kong. We look at what's happened with Xinjiang. We look at what's happened with Tibet. China wants to control that land and identify it as a part of China. And this is creating a policy to show how China has changed. Before, historically, China was kind of beaten up a lot as it relates to World War II whenever we think about the war between the Japanese and... We think about this because Japan invaded China and during World War II and created a whole lot of problems and issues. And this is kind of a stain on Chinese history. Um, if you go anywhere in China, there's currently soap operas talking about Japanese relations, things like that. So as it relates to Taiwan, creating this concept of a unified China is really important to Xi Jinping, for one, because Mao Zedong was never able to do it. As a result of invading the Korean Peninsula, this kind of created the environment where you know China didn't have the resources to go back and invade Taiwan like they originally wanted. And the United States would then create relations with Taiwan and for a period of time only view Taiwan as the capital in the one true China. Now, this would change in 1971 as it relates to relations with Nixon and the normalization of relations. And a part of that had to deal with China not coming into Vietnam and the United States no longer seeing Taipei as the, the capital of China. Now, whenever we look at Taiwan now relations, what we have to understand is there's a part of it that has to do with the simple fact that it is a democracy. And the United States sells a lot of military um, inf hardware and inf infrastructure to China. You know, we think about the $50 million deal that was signed this year. We think about the F-16s and we think about what that means from a strategic location. Now, China has tried for a long time to coerce relationships with Taiwan. Taiwan has its own government, has its own currency. So you're not getting the, 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 the aspect of what China is, but China is willing to wait. You know, I think in a lot of ways, if we apply this concept and lens, people are always thinking that China is going to invade Taiwan. But I think China has a more strategic approach laid out to kind of give insight when it goes into the five-year plan. Now, what we have to understand is that the difference between the United States and China as it relates to a political apparatus is the United States goes for voting every four years, and this completely can change the foreign policy aspects. China doesn't have that issue. Xi Jinping runs 
the country in a lot of ways, and he is, in my opinion, Mao 2.0. And as a result of this, they can do these things that, that create these long-term strategic goals. You know, China historically has been around for 5,000 years, so the way they look at time is very different than the way we look at time in the Western ideology. So whenever we take that in stride, what we have to understand is to them it's a marathon, you know, we're talking about Taiwan right now as it relates to political elections within the United States. And, you know, they're not seeing it that way. And I really think that's evident in what's happened um, within Hong Kong. In 2019, Hong Kong was rocked by pro-democracy mass protests. Now, many months on, the city is transformed and not in the way protesters have hoped. The Chinese government has clamped down hard, putting in place restrictive rules and reforming the way Hong Kong is run. There's a stringent national security law that criminalizes anything that Beijing considers as subversion or collusion with foreign forces. Scores have been arrested. I mean, you have China really clamping down on Hong Kong as it relates to who they are as a, as a nation, as an identity, because the UK did give them up in 1997 so why is that relevant it's showing a pattern we know that the way china rules is once they have you as a country as an entity they will do strict clampdowns on you they will create certain laws where you can't go against the norm now we've never seen china be able to fully invade and take over a country this is a whole different aspect of chinese military power I, in fact, wrote a paper about it um, as related to their strategic relations within the UN on the Security Council and how in some situations they were able to invade Malawi with a security force within Africa and protect different entities like oil, um, oil refineries and things like that. But other than that, this is the only proof I've ever found that China has done any invasion. So whenever it comes to how China is going to take Taiwan, in my personal opinion, it's not going to be through a military strategic influence that we think it's going to be. It's going to be through buying in and taking over politicians. So even though the rising tensions between the world's two most powerful countries, the United States and China, after several military close calls in the most recent incident, U.S. Indo-Pacific Command says a Chinese warship came within 150 yards of an American destroyer above the Taiwan Strait. Even though we have China pushing the boundaries, I really think this is for messaging to the Chinese people. I think it's really important for Xi Jinping to solidify his legacy even more as being better than Mao. And what do I say being better than Mao is if he is able to over to take Taiwan strategically, this is going to make him a staple in history to be able to, quote unquote, stand up to the West. For China, it's really hard for them to probably comprehend why the United States is getting involved with this environment, because China and Taiwan has had history, beef relations dating back to the 1630s, you know, even further, which is, you know, past the point and birth of the United States going back to the, the Qing dynasty. So as it relates to what's happening now, in my honest opinion, when we look at it, I think a lot of it is signaling and messaging going back to the Chinese people and Xi Jinping broadcasting this information to create a more national, unified China to slowly break away from the influence of the United States. For example, we think about how Hollywood has changed their messaging whenever they're putting movies within China. So where does this take us? In my honest opinion, Taiwan will probably, it would take a lot 
for Taiwan to be a part of China because there's 23 million people that stand on their Taiwanese nationality, Adweili Taiwan, which means independent Taiwan. I think if we start seeing protests that we saw in Hong Kong, we can determine that the same tactics used in Beijing and Hong Kong to slowly coerce the political individuals to have a relationship with China and be able to have rule of law would create that environment in which Taiwan will slowly start to become more unified with China. But as it relates in this current environment, the United States wants to keep China because as also the messaging it sends to Beijing. It's almost like Taiwan in itself is a flashpoint of messaging indicating who owns it runs the Indo-Pacific. And I think that's what's important right now. I don't think we're going to see war. I do think we're going to see more messaging. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll get back to you.